This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you're not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know that I know. This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, I know that I know. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Solve for Why vlogcast. This is episode number 23, and the legend of young Landon Tice continues to grow. The child of the sim managed to pick up his very first live win in only his third tournament ever played. 200K scored the Venetian. We're going to get into that, as well as many other things going on in the poker world, such as Doug versus Daniel. And uh, my man... My man, Will Jaffe, Dankness out there having some tough conversations, so we're going to take a preview of that. I'm also joined by another legend of the game. You know, Landon gave you legend of the game status last week. I'm the old-timey reg. Yeah, I'm glad I haven't fit the old-timey reg yet. Yeah, you're not, you, you haven't aged out yet. I've officially aged out. You are now legend of the game status, and he is the child of the sim. Okay, that, I can deal with that. I was, a, I was the ultimate life pro legend of the game, and now I'm... I gotta be careful though. <laughs> Quickly, I'll I'll be out. I'm I'm glad you can deal with it. Uh, I, my my nicknames have regressed. I went from Alpha Reg and Big Bet Berkey to now the accountant because all I do are fucking numbers for Landon. <laughs> well, you know that's you're you're progressing in life actually. Yeah, nobody wants to graduate to accountant, man. That's what they call transitioning out of poker, right there. <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> wants to retire. And move into accounting. Yeah. Like, oh, what are you going to do in your golden years? Uh, you, you know, I'm going to be a CPA. Yeah. Because no, what else would doing, I do? All you're doing is really keeping track of the profit that you're putting in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that is true. It's like it's like looking at a Bitcoin graph. It's easy to deal with it whenever it's just on the rise, you know? Yeah, well, there, there we go. All right. So it's been a booty. It's actually like picked up. Like it's kind of been a busy week with... Uh, Doug and Daniel are scheduled to play today. By the time that people see this, uh, they have they would have played match number seven. And there was a little controversy uh, yesterday, but that seems to have died down. But now we're on match number seven. Um, I believe Doug is up less than 100K. I think he's up 25K, if I recall. Half a buy-in. Is that right? So after last session they played, Doug is up about 80K. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry, Doug that was another session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's up two buy-ins, give or take. Right. So Landon did a stream with Joey, watching some of the hand histories uh, and commentating on commenting on that. I've watched all six uh, matches thus far, and I will be watching today. What do you guys think of the way the game has, like the match has been playing? Like, I don't, I don't think Daniel is like nine to one as some people were saying at some point. You know. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, if someone's offering 9-1, to one, I think I would take 9-1 to one pretty hand over fist. But I think he's playing really well, at least way better than people expected him to, especially because of the short amount of time he had to prepare for it, as well as, like, Doug's legacy in the heads-up, no-limit game. So, I mean, yeah, Daniel's kind of outperforming what everyone kind of expected, except for the people that know him, of course, because they kind of knew how, how much yeah. work he was putting in. I feel okay about the price I got. Um the 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 struggle that i have is daniel actually like winning the whole thing over 25,000 match or 25,000 hands right like i feel like i almost bet that he would just keep it competitive enough that i could eventually hedge off 
Right. Right. Because like, it just seems so hard to, to, to show a profit. Even if you're like closely, uh, even if you're relatively close in skill, it seems difficult to predict who's going to be, uh, the one who shows a profit over that long span. But in this particular instance, we're assuming that there's a big skill disparity. So now it becomes very difficult to see how the underdog comes through. But so far, it seems like he's been relatively competitive. I haven't watched as much of the match. I tuned into a little bit of uh, you and Joey. I actually have a clip of a hand that uh, was both entertaining and also kind of like a little bit of insight into like what my biggest fear is for Daniel. And that's just that Doug's aggressive tendencies are going to be difficult to counter. So in other words, what I mean by that is uh, I think the natural counter strategy to somebody who is very aggressive is to try to find ways to turn the aggression against them, right? But it's very hard to trap and no limit hold them, especially heads up. Right. So uh, in this particular clip, Doug was the uh, opener on the button and um, Daniel Daniel flatted uh, out of position and the board ended up running out like 10, 5, 7, 2 diamonds, turn jack, river king diamonds brick and they landed on the river with an spr of three and you said to joey like i think this is one of those spots where doug's just going to back the truck up because he has all the ace queen he go. does make the call i'm not going to call it now but the truck might get backed up on again yeah, he's gonna, because do doug, not tell me this guy's gonna because, pay forty thousand dollars because landing. doug has the ace queens daniel didn't do oh, that no. he doesn't have the ace queens oh no it's very possible Doug says... No, he's not. He's not. If he bets $40,000, I'm going to play a Nolan Holden tournament after the stream's over. Please do not bet $40,000. <laughs> Please don't do it. <laughs> Dear God, do not. He's not going to do it. Please don't do it. <laughs> We're just sweating him not... Oh, I told you! Why? Let's go, baby! Why Joey's in the it? tournament streets! Why would he do that? Let's go! Let's fucking go. Get the sound. Get the sound. Get the sound. Where's the sound? <laughs> I told you. I did. It's really difficult, especially if you aren't like intricately studied there, to figure out like what the proper bluff catching candidates are. And even most of them, in some to some regard, are mixed in a theoretical sense. And it's hard to kind of find out where the line is, even if somebody is over aggressing. Yeah. Because like it's very easy to get in your own head and like try to find a call that you think makes sense because someone plays a little bit more aggressive than the average heads up no limit expert, so to speak. Yeah. And hands like two pair become less valuable than a hand that has a blocker to the nuts when your opponent basically polarizes. Yeah. But like on board textures like this, uh, it becomes a little bit counterintuitive because like kind of, as you're mentioning, obviously straights are going to call. So when Daniel has eight, nine for a trap, he's, he's going to call no big deal. Um, but I think a few things come to play here. When you face a three X pot shove, the first instinct is I don't have to call that often. And that's true relative to how often you're supposed to call rivers, which is generally pretty often. Right. Right. So I don't have to call that often means like, I don't only have to call like 30% of the time or something to that effect. It's a little bit more. Yeah. So slightly more. And you need, uh, even, even more equity than that whenever you do call. Right. Um, but now outside of straights and potentially traps with sets, it becomes a little bit more tricky to find your, your, your bluff catchers because we're prioritizing so many different things. So we want to block the nuts, right? So it's nice to have a queen. It's right. nice to have an ace. It's nice to have a nine, right. right? But now we also want to unblock 
logical bluffs. Right. And how much of this is occurring with diamonds and like how much of this is not occurring with diamonds from Doug's, you know what I mean? So you're kind of like constantly playing that ping pong uh, thought process of like, well, what are my best bluff catchers by comparison to his best bluff candidates? And how do the blockers intertwine with that? It just becomes this whole mess of a thing while you're two-tabling against somebody who has a skill edge. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, if if he's betting 300% pot, he only has yeah. to call uh he only has to call 25% of the time. So, he does get to be pretty selective in the way that he continues on the river. Like in that spot, like King Queen is just going to be correct to call, I, I think because of the the blocker. And then obviously when he has 8-9, now we have to just decide how much more do we call? Like and that's going to be, I think, just based on blockers again. Like, that's kind of what we're landing on, right? Yeah, it's just I, I think like just framing it as like he only has to call a quarter of the time is uh, challenging because if we think in the scope of the entire range that gets there, he just has a lot of hands that are auto folds. So like all of his busted draws are just like auto folds, and that might represent like a third of his range. So like it becomes kind of tricky whenever you're trying to figure out like if you should be reaching for calls, if you should be overfolding, like what Doug's best bluff candidates are. Can he be reaching for extra bluffs? Uh, and I imagine like, this is a lot of the the hard work that heads up players are putting in. Yeah. I mean, heads up is such an intricate game tree in the sense of there's only three like singles pots, two bet pots, four bet pots, but then you're playing with such a wide range that it's very difficult to kind of have full control over every frequency as well as understand which hands and range are actually very solid bluff catchers as well as finding bluffs yourself because it's extremely easy to go off the rails and trying to find too many bluffs because you just have way too many combos in range right because like almost all of your hands in some capacity might just have like a straight blocker or a flush blocker and things of this nature to where it seems like a pretty intuitive bluff but if you overdo it, it's very easy for your opponent to over-adjust and call. And then yeah. you start lighting money on fire because you're not bluffing appropriately. Yeah, and I think that's what's kind of cool about those spots is that they do lend themselves to being favorable to the over-bluffer. Yeah. And they lend themselves to being uh, generally more difficult to call in a correct fashion. Right? So it's like, yes, against two highly skilled players, you have to be pretty precise with your bluffing frequency. But in instances where the caller is a little less sure of how to bluff catch, now I think the over bluffing just like happens in a natural frequency. Yeah, and then kind of lies the nature of playing heads up versus opponents that aren't completely well studied is that you can kind of just over aggress in a lot of spots and get away with it mm. because it's extremely, it's uncomfortable to find hero calls because it's very easy to fall into the mindset of I have better hands that call here. This one just isn't good enough. Yeah. And then you continually like wait to find like the nut bluff catcher, but you can't have the nut bluff catcher when like you have infinite combos in your range. Yeah, yeah. All right. So then after there was a little bit of a controversy, we saw Will Jaffe post a video in response to Bill Perkins. Bill Perkins has been like, you know, he kind of, he's quick on the, on the, on the trigger. He's, he's not waiting for shit. His he's Twitter like, fingers, man. He's, he's, he's quick. He's quicker than I kind of like it though. I feel like if there's anything going on, I could count on Bill to just be like, listen, this is what's going on. It might be overhyped, but this is what's going on. Yeah. So it is what it is. Um, so then uh Will Jaffe, he came out with a clip, uh, and he was, you know, his famous tough conversations clip. What's up, guys? It's uh been a minute, but uh it's time to have another tough combo. 
And this one's for uh, Bill Perkins. Look, Bill, I know you've done a lot for the poker community, like donate a lot of money to high rollers. But, you know, this is not a high roller. It's not a super high roller. It's not a home game. This is Twitter, where we get to say mean and vindictive shit to people and never have to face any consequences for it. So, you know, I don't know what's going on. You know, first, you're, you're criticizing the poker community for making a bad bet against against you. You know, laying odds on the best heads-up player of all time versus a guy who's gotten heads-up a few times in mixed games tournaments um, at a WPT in 1986. And now you're you're calling out Doug for uh, analyzing hand histories? I mean, come on, bro. This is this is the ultimate stay in your lane moment. Like when people play online, sometimes sometimes they save hand histories and they and they look at the results and you know see what happened. And uh, if you're thinking this is an issue, I mean, it just shows how bad of a bet you made. Which I mean, to be honest, is fair because I mean you're trying to die with zero, right? Like, and and on the topic of that, I mean, I'm sure Dan Smith and Mike McDonald are really really love that book, and I'm sure it's great. But I, I think I speak for the the vast majority of the poker community when. You know, if you really want to help us out, if you could, if you could maybe he just had to live with zero first, that would be great. Because, you, you know, you kind of made Return of the Jedi before you did A New Hope here. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's just ultimately, bro, like, I don't like, I don't like people who think they're experts in different areas. Poker players do this all the time, but I think you're stepping out a little, a little out of your lane here, Papa. And it's just like, you know... Just because you fly to the Galapagos a couple times a year and do acid with a bunch of extinct sea turtles and Dan Blazarian doesn't make you a self-help guru. Kind of just makes you a rich asshole. So, yeah. I I was, he was, I mean, the guy's hilarious. Like, he, I, I wish he did, you know, I, with Will Jaffe, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know much about him. I feel like he's such a unique personality. Like, why isn't he more, like, out there? I don't know. It's pretty interesting. Like, he doesn't, what does he do? Like, I mean, I think this is a whole separate conversation, but like, let's be, let's be honest, man. Like in our community, you get punished for being out there. You know, like if you have a good shtick and you're able to do it at low frequency where people can just appreciate from afar and kind of like be left wanting more, that plays really well. But like the second that becomes your persona, you just see droves and droves and droves of people who like hate. And you see with the vloggers, right? Like, Look how popular somebody like Marley's first two or three vlogs were, where she really went hard into the comedic element of what it is to be a girl in poker to the point where like she was like playing out stereotypes and obviously wasn't serious. It took like, you know, four or five of those types of vlogs before everything turned, right? It's like, okay, we'll tolerate this for one or two because it's new, unique, and creative. But the second that this becomes your thing, like we're not going to accept it any longer. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of a shame. Like, I do think that Twitter is like an interesting platform where like, you you kind of pick your lane. And like, if you want to be a comedic lane, like that's kind of cool. If you want to be like informative, that's kind of cool. If you want to like whatever lane you want, like I think I think it serves that. I don't know about the new like fleet stuff. Like, I'm not kind of with that. Like, Instagram is already like on that. Am I the only one who doesn't have fleet? Yeah. No, you always have it. Do, do you have yeah. to like download it? Set? No. I updated the app and everything. Nothing. Well, maybe Twitter knew that you were taking a Twitter hiatus. They didn't want I, to give you. You know what? I appreciate that. Maybe it's a call to get you back. Maybe it's an age demographic thing. They're like, if you're over the age of 31. You're an old timey you adult. Yeah, you just no don't fleets. get fleet. No fleets for you. What a stupid name. Yeah, I hate that name. It's like, I don't get, I don't even get it. I don't, I don't get the reference at all. What the hell? Who, who is in that board meeting where they're like, we're gonna call it Fleet. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's like really time weird. is fleeting. Nope. So like, nope. It's only stays up for a day. Nope. I'm assuming buying. that's the idea. Not buying it. That's the idea. It's kind of trash. Yeah, it's kind of super trash. I, I, I'm assuming they'll change it, maybe. Um, all right, so then Bill Perkins responds, and he goes, I appreciate your impossibly long, dickish video of you complaining there was a disagreement. You think I'm a rich asshole. I think you're a poor one. So eat a bag of dicks. We clear? <laughs> Yo. Bang, bang, baby. I um, was like, wow. Holy no, but like it, it ended up all getting squashed. Like Jaffe quoted that and was like, just in case you were wondering, that's how you reply to a tough combo. Yeah, yeah, but I um, like I like I like when Bill's like a little bit spicy, man. Like he's always happy, but like I like when he's a little spicy too. Like yeah, no, he's he's definitely beginning. Twenty twenty has not been his finest moments as far as like firing shots go. <laughs> he's kind of been on one where he's a little premature. Everything's bigger than bigger than the Apostle scandal. Kind of 2020 ain't all too bad. Bitcoin's on the rise. Bitcoin is on the rise. He said that there's probably a lot of people richer than him now. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I'm sure that's just bullshit though. Like nobody's richer than Perkins. Yeah, it's like a, a, a humble is, flex. Gas sure. is doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> like gas is doing just fine. I don't think Bitcoin's gonna even Yeah, like you're invested in the last of a dying resource. It's a commodity for, yeah, for like you're fine. the rest of our lives for sure. Um the last thing I want to touch on with the Doug Daniel thing is you and I are going to start to do kind of like a watch party. I don't care to do analysis. We're not heads up experts, but I think that, uh, you know, I, I want to have an excuse to watch this and I'm going to be streaming anyway. I mean, I'm watching them anyway. Like I've been watching each one so far. And yeah, yeah I mean, having people kind of watch along, I think it's kind of cool. And you know, we can expect our usual fan base to like tune in. My man Angel, he's always in the chat. You know, <laughs> he likes when we shout him out in the in the, the vlogcast. And you know, a lot of people do want to, you know, just hang out and watch. This is very popular. You know, a little bit like when you told me about the watch party or whatever, I was like kind of hesitant because I was like, okay, like Joey's already doing it, like GG's already doing it, Upswing's already doing it, and now we're doing it. But you know what? It's like we're all watching anyway. Like let the people watch with who they want to watch you know and yeah i fought pretty hard with andre about this where i didn't want to do it but he made two really good points number one he created the sickest uh like graphical overlay that i've seen thus far for it so he actually like recreated the the wsop platform and changed the tables to heads up so he shrunk them uh and he like made the backgrounds custom and he's just doing a lot of work so he sold me from a production side. And then secondarily, he's like, this is a community-wide event and you have a community and you should be interacting with them. And it's like, yeah, that's that's pretty good and pretty smart. And honestly, I'm streaming one tournament a day. So if I do this prior, that just seems to make a lot more sense for a high quality stream, as opposed to me just like dicking around in a 30K guarantee on WSOP. Yeah, that's kind of true. And I mean, the people could like now visibly see who I'm rooting for while I watch. On it, site. Because it's been a secret. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm not going to be saying. ready for Doug. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be ready for Doug. <laughs> it's like every time Doug wins a pot, I'm like, fuck. Like, you know, just like, why another fucking overbet? Another fucking overbet. Why can't we just yeah. have it? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So, Landon, congratulations. 200000 towards the bank that Berkey's keeping an account on. This kid got checked. We might not ever get it cashed. He's a, he still hasn't gone to the bank or nothing. Le legit, man. He's just like, 
what do I do with this thing? <laughs> can, he goes, can I deposit it on my phone? <laughs> you probably could. Nah. If you have a business account, it's a 50K yeah, yeah, yeah. deposit. It's, it's kind of a he number. definitely doesn't have a business account. I'm a business, man. <laughs> I'm not a business, man. I'm a business, man. Yeah. We drove by yesterday. He's like, this line's too long. Just go. Just go. Just get out of here. So walk us through walk us through this entire month, right? Like you were, you know, we like we we have this business going, whatever. You were stuck like a like when I left Vegas, you were up like a hundred, right? I was like really happy. I was just like in the car with Berkey, like wow, the kid is really doing it. Like I leave Vegas, Berkey texts me like four days ago, like yeah, we have to do numbers. Uh, Landon's down like a hundred thousand. <laughs> I'm like, wait, that's a two hundred thousand dollars swing. Like, it's only been four weeks. I've been playing more like twenty five fifty online, fifty hundred online, and um, shot takes didn't really go necessarily too well. I felt pretty confident in the way I was playing, but obviously variance happens sometimes. And I was kind of feeling a little bit down about it in some ways, and then kind of got talked into playing this eleven hundred MSPT uh, by the man sitting across from me, and just like. When I go pick up free money in the streets, and I was like, we could use some free money at, this at times like, like this. This has been an ongoing joke for like the better part of a decade. It started with my my friend Brian Lomano, who's a manager for us now. And uh, I carried it over to Chin, and now it, it applies to you. He used to just say like, th- this is also coming from a kid who, by the way, like said he never wanted to play higher than 5'10 in his life. Like mm-hmm. He just didn't like the idea of risk. But like every day, he'd just slap a backpack on. It's like 2008, whatever. He'd just slap a backpack on. He'd be like, all right, heading down to the Venetian to pick up my check. Yeah. And he'd just like go play cash for six or seven hours, come back to seven, eight, nine hundred dollars rich or whatever. And, uh, you know, it just kind of carried over. It's like the same thing with Chin. It's just like he just puts in 60 hours a week sometimes at Bellagio because ultimate just, life, bro. Ultimate yeah. life, bro. They're just like sliding you an envelope with money in it. Like, here you go, buddy. Not to me. I got, the, I got the, I got the, I got the checks. Yeah, that's true. I got, I got given the checks uh, that didn't, you can't the, cash the, those. The fraudulent checks. The yeah. fraudulent well, like, checks. You still haven't been hired. That's the problem. Like you have yeah. to, you have to be hired into the live arena. That's, that's true. You, you're still kind of like on the, uh, the intern graduation program. Right. So I asked Matt if he, uh, was ever going to play something like this and he hit me with the, I've paid my dues in these tournaments, <laughs> young man. I've, I've spent my time. To be fair, I like haven't might won- play the sixteen hundred on Friday. I haven't won one, so maybe uh, maybe I'm putting the cart in front of the horse. I should probably get my ass down there and, and pick up a little free equity too. Get a little winner. Bergie used to grind, man. Bergie before Bergie used to grind, he would play like the HPT at the Westgate. I was around for all. All of a sudden, he got a little bit rich in there, and then he's gone. Bitcoin's up, baby. Bitcoin's on the rise. Now he's just like, oh, I'm gonna stake Landon. I'm gonna take a piece of chin in this 500 game. Like now he's just yeah. like, you know, he's like the Godfather. He's, he's transitioning just... out of poker. Yeah, he's the accountant. while being an accountant. So you just become an accountant, accountant the great accountant, an accountant investor. I'll be my own accountant. I'm not trying to do numbers. Let's let's me. walk through this. So then you're, you know, we're a little bit stuck now, which is fine, whatever. And then you sign up for this tournament. Yeah, I was following the updates on Instagram. And day one, you bagged like a pretty significant stack, right? Oh, wait, wait. Not before he gave away like all of our equity, though. Kid, kid was just giving away pieces like he's Oprah firing off cars, man. <laughs> you get a one ball. You get a one ball. You I get a one ball. I only gave away 3%, man. <laughs> Who did you swap with? Uh, wait, do we, what, do, are we allowed to know? Who, 
Who who do you think Landon should be swapping with in an, in an MSPT eleven hundred dollar event? David Peters. <laughs> no one that showed up. That's for goddamn sure. Maybe you like, sweat. I, I'll take like a Ralph Wong or something. Like you know, somebody like that. Maybe he didn't play that event either, man. I think he did. No, no he, he did. He did. I saw it. He he, he's, he's a grinder for sure. He did play. Yeah, I saw it. I saw him in the in the list of bust outs. He busted like twenty six. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have any cash in the house, so he sold Corey five percent to give him a buy. <laughs> wow! I didn't sell Corey five to give. Me I a told buy-in. him to. I told him to. I got the buy-in, and then Matt said, "Yo, give Corey five percent. That's called loyalty." Yeah, keep it in That's house. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, you got it. You got to sell to the house. That's true. You got to sell to the house. Okay, so then you bag like a pretty big lead. Uh, right. A so pretty big chip stack. Day one, I'm pretty sure there's about like 450 entrants or so, maybe. 350 to 400 somewhere around that range and i ended up (laughs) and i ended up uh bagging about sixth in chips in that and i think about 80 people kind of made it to day two so i bagged a pretty nice stack but obviously day one beyond saturday was going to have a lot more entrance so after all was said and done for day ones i was about 20th of 145 which is a very promising a very promising day two. Yeah. How many people cashed? I'm pretty sure 120 cashed around that range. So, so like, right. it was almost like immediately after yeah, yeah. day two started. Like, if you got unlucky in the beginning, like you didn't get the dollars, but which would actually kind of suck a lot. I was, uh, now we're on to day two and I was kind of following along through your Instagram. Uh, and you played a pretty significant hand uh, where you made like a pretty big bluff. Can you walk us through that one? Sure. Um, so at this time, I, um, well, when the day started, I ended up doubling up with a set versus top two on the turn. And then that kind of put me in a spot to have a decent amount of chips for the rest of the tournament. And from there, I ran extremely well and held in a bunch of spots and also got many bluffs through. So I ended up chip leading, I'm pretty sure, up until about, final four tables before we broke the three. So I lost a flip, ended up having like a pretty significant stack and the cutoff opens. I have seven, eight of hearts on the button and I decided to three bet and cutoff calls and I have seven, eight of hearts. Flop is King Jack four, no hearts and it's rainbow. He checks, I see bet third, which I'm doing with most of my range. He's going to call with, his queen tens, his ace queens, his backdoor draws, his king x, and his jack x. Turn is a five, giving me a gutter. And in this case, it's I have like a pretty solid hand to kind of go off with, having eight high and equity and unblocking his backdoor draws that continue on the flop. So he checks, and I end up barreling like 66% pot. And starting stack was probably around like 600 to 700 to 800,000. And I put in a return bet for like 375. No, starting stacks were ridiculous. You bet 800 on No, I mean, I mean, uh, average stack, sorry. Oh. Yeah, so average stack was probably around like 800,000. So like this is going to be a pretty big pot because stack the pot on the river is still like one point. We're like still like two. So I bet two thirds pot, 375 in in the 550. And he ends up making the call. And the river pairs off with an offsuit five and the backdoor spade draw bricks. He checks to me. And this is kind of a spot where an all-in and a 
pretty sizable bet on the river is going to effectively do me the same justice of getting him to fold hands like a jack, hands like queen 10 that brick, obviously, and also hands that are backdoor spades that he could have at some frequency like a sex of spades. So I go for 800k into about 1.3 million and he ends up snap mucking, which felt really good. And it was a spot where I almost didn't three bet in the first place because I knew like how much my stack was worth and thought about the implications of not taking a spot. But then again, at the end of the day, I need to focus on what I know is right and playing the game that I know how to play. And the spot's a very clear three bet, infinite deep with the chip stack in position and able to apply pressure because I cover. So I kind of just took the spot and it ended up working out really well for me. Yeah, I think that's always the delicate balance, right? The balance of how much is your stack worth ICM wise? Because obviously in this situation, Landon, like you have arguably top, what, top 10 stack for sure, right? In yeah. this situation. Yeah, so you have top 10 stack with roughly three tables left. Definitely there's ICM already involved, right? If you lose this pot, it's pretty it's a pretty big debt in, in your stack. So it's always a matter of like balancing like when to go for the spot uh, versus like ICM implication and, and, and like preserving stacks, as you mentioned, but also like your opponent has to worry about this too, right? Like it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, yes, you have to worry about it, but the onus is still on him to defend uh, appropriately. So I think like the best tournament players are the ones that can maneuver through that path most efficiently. Like if, if you're taking that spot with too many hands, like let's say you're just like, oh, I see him on him and you're just like three betting like the five free suited, you know, then you're just probably like going a little bit too ham, right? So what is your like three bet construction there look like? Are you, are you rolling at all? Or you're just like taking like certain hands pure? Like how are you, what are you thinking there? So in a spot like this, the way I kind of see it is very player dependent and position dependent. Like I wouldn't be three betting a hand, my, like my hand, if the same person that was in the cutoff opened from under the gun eight handed, because in that spot, he's way too protected and his range is way too wide. Because another part of three betting pre is like if they fold and I win the pot, like that's a good amount of blinds pre-flop. And I'm definitely going to get more folds from a cutoff open than under the gun. So the way I'm sort of seeing the spot is I'm going to take hands that are suited broadways and then off-suited broadways depending on what they are and then some suited hands and some pairs like sevens eights nines plus and in that case i'm going to have a pretty well constructed range and also kind of expect a lot of folds pre-flop and also give myself an out if i want to find a fold to a four bet because obviously we're gonna to have to have some three bet folds and versus this guy specifically he w demographically like wasn't really a kind of guy that I would think would be opening too tight in this spot. And he would be playing pretty balanced frequency because he's just a very solid player. So in that way, like I know I can widen my range to a theoretically sound one versus kind of playing a little bit snug and folding versus other opponents that I think might be playing too tight. So a lot of it's just kind of gauging like the way I kind of think about the opponent I'm playing against, as well as trying to find out like how comfortable I am in the moment because I definitely felt very comfortable when I put in a three bet and was just very willing to take my post flop edge in position in a, in a spot where I know that this pot's definitely worth thousands of dollars and I'm more than prepared for it. How do you think his response like would 
Like, what do you think his response pre-flop and, and post should be? Playing out of position is always tough. And especially in a spot like this where pots could potentially get big, like what happened. I would be a lot more inclined to four bet very linear hands, like jacks plus, even 10, like probably tens plus. And then like ace queen off would be like a solid four bet. And then some like ace five suitors would probably be the right idea. And then mostly just play a lot of folds pre, just because like it's chips are really important at this stage. And playing out of position is a lot harder to realize equity. So allowing me to have the initiative in the hand as well as playing over 50 blinds deep when the average stack probably had somewhere around 30 is going to be quite problematic in a lot of spots. I think the big problem is, is that that depth, it's just pretty well constructed for three barrel all-ins. Yeah. Like you're just all in a lot by river anytime that... A board runs out favorably. Yeah, well, anytime really is the pre-flop caller, anytime that you are forced into facing two bets, that third bet is almost certain to be all in. So it's just like, it makes sense that he has a hand like queen 10 because he's just drawing straight to the nuts. Right. And he's going to have no decision on the river whatsoever. Of course. And I think that in this spot, it's a little bit interesting for him in the sense of life just becomes quite difficult. And most people in my spot aren't going to find appropriate bluffs. Yeah, but like even pre-flop. But he's gonna he can't expect that from you. Sure. I mean, not not saying that like he knows who you are or how good you are or, or anything in between, or even if you are good, but just more so just like if you're at my table and I have no idea who you are, I know that I'm getting bluffed here at a pretty reasonable frequency. I would give you credit for overbluffing me rather than underbluffing. Right, right. Sure. The demographic of like of who of how you look would just lean bluff heavy, right? Yes. Yeah. Generally speaking, like I would be like, okay, like he's probably, if anything, he's probably bluff heavy, not the other way around. I think there's a difference between being like perceived as bluff heavy and then actually doing something about it. Like I'm sure. Oh, I don't think people have a natural counter right. to somebody who bluffs too much. Right. So I think it ends up working well in my favor because I could have bluffs, but they, people can easily rationalize themselves, especially in bigger spots, which happened from three tables down when I just honestly did not make very many hands and yeah. just kind of had rampant aggression of where I know this guy's bluffing and I know this guy's probably crazy, but I can't do anything about it right now. I need to wait for a hand where I know that yeah. my decision is sound. Yeah. It's very easy to wait for a hand that seems like a very clear call down, like top pair plus in certain on certain boards versus trying to dance around with like a marginal holding and then try to hope that I'm bluffing in this one specific instance. Right. So, so did, he, did he, did you get to find out like what he had? Yeah, so after the hand, he and I were kind of just joking around a little bit. And I ended up finding out that he, I play with him online quite reasonably. And he said to me, if you, if you play like this against me in one more pot, I'm just going to take your bankroll online. And I was like, all right, I guess we're in for it. So we just kind of had some jokes and ended up finding out that he folded queens there. So he, tried to, he trapped pre and um, got a pretty unfavorable run out with a king high flop, called down two, and I had a, the stone bottom of a bluff. And he had a very not great hand to call with especially blocking the obvious bluffs on my end, which would be queen 10. So it just went like two big blinds to six big blinds call. It went two big blinds to about six and a half to maybe seven for me and then call. And then flop, I bet one third. Turn, I bet two thirds. River, I bet around three quarters. And uh, got the snap full. I don't know. I think his, I, I mean, obviously his hand's like kind of a mix, but I think he should be like 
four betting at a very high frequency here. Like, yeah, I agree. I, I think if you go to six and a half, seven, and we're 50 bigs effective, I think I think it's very reasonable for him to go to like 15 and, and just like felt the hand, you know? I also think he just ripped. I could be like completely underplaying like stock. I think we could have been like, I think we we're at the very least around 50 to 60, maybe even more. I mean, the deeper you are, the more I want to four bet. Right, of course, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, exactly. Like at fifty, I think being all in is an option. I still think his hand is so strong that like him going to fifteen and a half or something like that, and just being able to felt the hand is like very good. Um, yeah, I, I think flatting is fine uh, as well, uh, especially if he if you're gonna if he expects you to like you know go off on some boards, uh, which obviously that's what he was expecting. It's kind of problematic though with queens because when it doesn't come ace or king high. Now for Landon to go off, he's more probable to just have those hands, right? Like when it comes Jack-10 high, when it comes 10-9 high, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you have Queens, oftentimes you're going to block his best buffing candidates. And when you face that heavy heat, he's just going to have the hands that he should have, like sets and two pairs and, and things of that nature. Right, like blocking King. Like he's not going to go hard with Ace-Jack on Jack-10x. Yeah, I mean, Queens is a very like tricky hand in that spot. I mean, I, I think it goes both ways. I think I would probably in that specific spot like probably always four bet honestly but yeah i agree i agree i think it's just a matter of like what's depth and do i need to be all in or is just like four betting to a marginal size make more sense it was it was pretty funny actually too because after i was talking to him because he did win a bracelet this summer which uh congrats to him i kind of told him i said look you've already won your bracelet let me win this one and we'll go on our way and he's like nah and then uh ended up getting it done so. he beat chance heads up in the turbo. Wow, really? Yeah. yeah. And then I took all of his bracelet money the next day. <laughs> He's gotten his so then, since. It's so then what point. happened? What happened after that? So you get that you get that pop through. You have a that's a pretty significant hand. Right. Uh, you shoot up, you so shoot up the we're going to final three tables, and I look at the chip stacks because I'm really not used to the live environment and counting counting stacks. It's hard for me sometimes, I guess, because I thought I had around like three million going in the final three tables. I look at the uh, poker news update and it says I have 5.6. Mm. So I have like way more than I thought I did. And at that time I got some dinner with some friends and the I, guy we have huge equity of, he doesn't even know how much he has. He doesn't need to know what he has. I was, I knew I was chip leading is all, all I knew is I had most of the chips. Yeah. It's fine. Because of the volume of the chips. Yeah, right. yeah. It was just <laughs> too many to count. And good problem to have. So I, 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 you're I, just looking around and you're like, I have more than him than him. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was doing in this Literally tournament. too rich to care. Wow. I yeah. only cared about how much like they had. And I was like, okay, I have more than them. Like, I'll be okay. Sure. Bill and Perkins and the Bill Perkins out there. He just, you know, firing it. Yeah. Gas trader. Gas trader. So, <laughs> so I go on dinner break with, uh, with a couple friends and I just had a lot of confidence in myself at this point. And I was like, I'm fucking winning this tournament. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm winning this tournament. And I like said that with way too much conviction at the time. And I was like, kind of like running around the because the, like the the casino, just like feeling like feeling really good about myself. End up getting back from dinner break and losing an ace king versus jacks for like a sixty big blind pot, which was massive because the average blinds was probably around like twenty. Yeah. So like, this guy and I, I had like I had him covered, but he opens. And I was like, okay, it looks like you're around 800K. So I jam ace king from the small blind, which I think is about 15 bigs effective with the big blind and him. 
he snaps, flips over Jackson Holtz. And I said, what is it, like 800K? He goes, nah, I have 1.6. Wow. And, I, and it was, so it was like a 30 big blind all in versus a 15. And I was still like, seems, still seems fine though. Oh no, the, all the money. Oh, yeah, goes when he in has his game, but like if it's fifteen, but if he thinks he's fifteen blinds effective, right. he just starts ripping like, like eight tens there. Or, yeah, yeah. Or like whatever, whatever. I mean, eight six is fine, but if I just have like a hand that I think is worth fifteen bigs versus thirty, it's a different conversation. But I was like, ah, well, just I guess like, that's even, suited. <laughs> yeah, like that's even like a good mistake to make and like kind of a run good spot because I had a hand that was okay with getting all the money in anyways and losing the pot. It's not like I had a real decision to make or like I had like a marginal hand, like a king jack off kind of thing where like I wouldn't feel too comfortable getting that in in a tournament like this. Okay, so At then what happens after that? So after that, I kind of chipped down a little bit and um, tables start shrinking. People start falling out left and right from the both tables. We get down to final two and then we get to nine. So we're at nine and I'm pretty sure I'm like three of nine at this point, kind of in like a decent spot. I end up making a pretty big fold with a two pair on king three, four, ace seven, I want to say, where I open, get called by the small blind and the big blind. I open the button with king three of spades. Flop comes out. I bet small multi-way. Small blind calls, big blind folds. Turn is the ace, bringing the double draw, and he donk leads. And I was like, well, this is interesting. I guess we're going to see what happens on river. So I call. And on the river, he like 2.5x all-ins. Oh, weird. I looked at my hand. I'm like, I just don't give you credit for having a bluff in this spot. And like, I'm definitely in a spot where I don't need to make a call like this and just kind of hope that you're just kind of crazy. It's just, it's such a weird line because like, I just can't define his value. I can't either. Like, I mean, he just have to have jack 10 of hearts. He probably what? just has a set. I mean, he well, has he to have, have exactly like aces up. Or he has aces up. Aces up would be insane though. Landon's uncapped. He could just have ace king. Right. So it has to just be a set. Yeah, but he's not, not ten- bluffing. No, I guess. I, I mean, I guess not. But if like- he's not bluffing and I don't think I beat any value, which I definitely don't think I do, unless he's like kind of psycho and didn't three bet ace queen kind of idea. But in this spot, I was like, my uncertainty in this is actually, this was probably the first time in the tournament where I was very unsure about a decision. Yeah. I guess the reason I give him a hard time for having a good hand is we block a set of threes. Right. So that literally just leaves a set of fours. And he led on a card that we certainly would bet. Of course. Which to me just screams he's trying to get a draw through. So, but it still could be Jack 10. But, then again, but then again, a draw then again, wouldn't decide to like force me to fold an ace because I'm obviously, he doesn't, I don't think he thinks I'm folding an ace. On the turn. How saying? many, how yeah. many no, bigs? He's just trying to get a good price. He bets a third. How many bigs were we pre-flop? Like how many? Many bigs, many, many bigs. I mean, this and, guy could just, like, you know, like, this is unlikely, but this guy could just be, like, pretty scared with, like, an ace-king hand and just, like, flat pre. That I could agree with. But again, why lead when you know it's being bet? Right. So, so there's two draws, and he's just like, I don't want to. bet one-third. Either way, at, like, the end of the day. I mean, the guy, the guy, me. let's be honest. Like, the guy is not, like, you know, thinking about how to split his range in this spot. He's just, like, kind of going. I'm not thinking in that regard. I'm thinking more psychologically. Like when you instinctually see a card that you know your opponent's going to bet, you have a really good hand, you check raise. Yeah, yeah. I I think it makes most logical sense that he had a draw, like Jack 10 of hearts, didn't want to face pot on the turn ace. So he third pots it and then just drills the nuts on the end. Well, in this in this spot, either way, I think I would, I don't care what the river was, if it like kind of bricked out and he jammed. I think this is a spot where like, if you're bluffing, congratulations. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think the moment, like, I think, I think Landon's right. Like, 
the moment's probably just too big for this guy for him to like find the bluff. The thing is we can't know, but I do agree that the pot is worth more or I guess the pot is worth less to win than it is to lose the minimum. It's an ICM fold. It's kind of just like, kind of like, okay. Oh, it's not an ICM fold. You're not going to find any math that backs this fold. There, there's definitely no theory that's going to back this fold. It's just an exploitative play in a situation where we think we have a read on a guy who's under bluffing. It's just like, it was just like a really dirty spot. And I was like, okay, I'm not sure. And I'm going to, rather than like lean risk averse and fold, I'm just going to understand that if the poor outcome is the result of this hand, like if I end up getting stacked here and I lose, I have way more than enough chips to make this back later in the tournament, especially at final table where people are more scared. Cause yeah. it's not like this was like for a 10 big blinds more. Like I still had like 30 to 35 to 40 bigs to where I was comfortable. Yeah. So like, it's a different spot. If like I have 20 bigs and I make this fold and like this turn, this car, this hand specifically, could guide me towards having a chip stack at FT and finding a win. Well, it's it still could. If well, of you, course. If you call but, a win, you have like hundred bigs. Yeah, of course. But it's I mean, pretty it's significant. In, it's just in the sense of I, I don't think he's bluff. I, I don't think he's bluffing. Yeah, him. I also just think like you haven't been hurt yet. So like, uh, yeah, you have 35, 40 blinds and you can navigate, but like we can only control so much. You know what I mean? Like you could just run Ace King into Jax again and just be out. Of course. And I'm not saying that like that should lean you to call in this spot, but what I am saying is that like we need some sort of heuristic to lean on outside of our own bravado that says uh, I'm unsure in this particular instance, therefore I'm going to lean conservative because I think I can do other things later. Now don't get me wrong, I'm too far the other way where it's like I'm not going to fold in these spots because I don't necessarily think I can control variance. And I just end up like paying off in spots where, you know, maybe it is clear that they don't have bluffs or whatever the case may be. Sure. So I'm not questioning the hand at all. Uh, I guess what I'm saying though is that I I think that it's a little bit challenging to just commit to that mindset of uh, this spot's close, so I'm going to pass and make more money elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously like the opportunity cost of like ditching the pot and then finding other places. And I guess because it's it's kind of like the mindset of the old timey reg who just says I don't want to flip and they muck ace king to a three bet pre. I mean, there seems to be there's a little bit of a difference in like I guess understanding variance and understanding the spot. Where like if I give if I think I, when he jams I need to win the pot a certain percentage of the time, and I just didn't feel like I did. Yeah. So like if I yeah, feel like fair. so like if I I just felt in the moment like this wasn't really like a variance spot. It was just like I lose here way more than I should. I'm just going to let it go and yeah, just accept that. That's fair. So then either way, it ends up working out for us. Um, we end up getting the final table. And I'm pretty sure I'm like maybe fourth or fifth in chips or something of, to that effect. Maybe a little bit, maybe fourth. Might be fourth, four of eight. So first guy ends up losing with nines versus kings. He spikes a nine, king on the turn. Really <laughs> dirty. He had like six big blinds, but still like... It hurts. Yeah. And then eighth place got knocked out. Or sorry, seventh place got knocked out by uh he had ace 10 versus queens and then i knocked out everyone else from six down so someone that my my friend that i actually swapped with that got sixth he jammed like 15 to 20 bigs from the cutoff i had ace king on the small blind and i called i saw nines and i was like nah there's no way nines are good here and flop king high turn brick river brick end up taking that one down and then sort of navigating my way to heads up and then um i'm getting a little bit nervous at the end but uh, 
Got a, I, got a I, timely break. I had to chop block you. Yeah. So walk me through. There was there was a, a really significant hand heads up, right? I was following the poker news uh, kind of story, and you had a pretty significant lead, and then there was a collision on like a 10-8x board. Right. Uh, walk us walk us through that hand. So I think he limps button, and I check my option on, from the big blind with eight four off. Flop comes 10 8 3, I want to say. Uh, I Flop goes check, check. So I kind of remove 10 from his range. Turn is, I want to say, a, I want to say like a low, either a deuce or like it was 10 8 5 turn deuce kind of idea and brought a double draw. I end up betting turn for value and he jams on me. And I think to myself, I don't think he has a 10 because most of his 10s would see bet on the flop. And the only value combo that makes sense would be a turn two pair or like a turn set that he would limp like a small pair of pre. So I kind of gave him a, maybe a little bit too much credit and gave him the chops to kind of find a bluff with a equitable combo draw, like an open-ended draw with a flush draw. But so I ended up making the call and he has seven, eight of diamonds for a second pair with a flush draw on the end. So I, was, dead. so I was kind of right, but wrong in the sense of he did have a combo draw. He just had the additional equity of a pair, which is quite good versus a the same pair with the lower kicker. Yeah. And the board ended up bricking out. So he kind of scooped that one. And um, I had like a slighter lead. I had like a three to one lead. And now I had like maybe like a 2.2 to like, like a 1.2 to, to one. Yeah. Like yeah. Something, something really like close. And then we instantly go on break. And then I start getting a little bit nervous in the spot and start kind of wanting to like see what a chop looks like. So this is kind of, I'll, I'll tell this now from my perspective because uh, it was fascinating to watch how it played out. So the guy doubles and Landon immediately suggests they look at numbers, right? And I'm like on the rail trying to get over there as fast as I can to like just put the kibosh on this. So they're playing heads up for 70K and Landon's played hundreds of thousands of hands heads up. This guy's maybe played 13. <laughs> Lifetime, for sure. The exact hands that he's been playing today. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. This heads up match plus like maybe a sit and go somewhere along in his career. Uh, and it's just like, no fucking way are we giving this guy free equity in a spot where like you are a massive favorite. So we get saved twice, three times really when it's all said and done. So Landon's like, adamant about the chop, won't get up from the table, like just totally has his back to me, ignoring me completely. And the first thing I hear is, do you want to look at ICM numbers? And I'm just like, oh no, we're fucked. Yeah. ICM's not even a thing. And so I'm like, this kid's just going to say yes to anything they come back with. Um, so MSPT says, uh, we have to leave something to play for. Now that's fine, but here's where everything gets fucked up in our favor. So... <laughs> The MSPT officials apparently don't understand how to coordinate a chop or whoever was running this particular event just like had a brain fart. But when your head's up, everybody's already guaranteed second place money. So you have to withdraw that from the prize pool. You can't say that like, we're going to take the 201 up top and the 135 for second, smash it together. Smash in that and then And then divide, right? Like it just doesn't work that way because everybody's guaranteed the 135. So all you're really playing for is what's left as a disparity, which is the 70 K. Well, what they did is they took it all and mashed it together. And they said, you have to play for 10% of the remaining prize pool. The remaining prize pool is truly 70 K. 
So you should have had to keep a saver of $7,000. Instead, they look at 336,000 and say, you need to play for at least 34K. Yeah. Massive difference. Now you have to do a saver of 50% instead of 10. Okay, good. Now, at least if Landon makes a bad deal, He's only making a bad deal for a portion of what's right, left. For play, like right? a very small, a right. smaller amount. So operating off of that same construct, they go and do chip chop numbers. But instead of doing it based on the 35,000 left in play, they do it based on the 300,000 of the two places put together. Yeah. And so they come back and they offer Landon, who had like four, more big. four or five more big blinds, something like that. I think he had like 10% more chips. Yeah. So it was like a six to five lead. They go back and they offer Landon 159,000. They offer the other guy 144,000 or 145,000, something of that effect. Um, so effectively, he's making like 9K for agreeing to a chop, and Landon's making like 24,000 for having an extra four big blinds. The actual chop number should have been like 151 to like 148. So it should have been like a three or 4K disparity between the two of you. And instead, it ends up being like a $13,000 difference. So the guy who was like so pumped to chop, he was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, whatever. I'll literally say yes to any numbers. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting the bad news of like, okay, you have to play for 35 of the remaining 70. And we're only going to give you an additional $9,000 to what you're already guaranteed for you to now basically uh, give this kid, just gift this kid an extra like, I don't know, six or $7,000. And he went and spoke to his rail and they're just like, it's a bad chop. And he comes over to Landon and was just like, hey man, this chop isn't fair. You barely have any more chips than me. Uh, and they're giving you an extra 12 or 13K or whatever the case may be. And I'm sitting there like, yes, they've smiled upon us. This deal's not going to happen. And, Landon, and so he's like, I think we should just chop even at 151 each. And Landon's like, yeah, whatever you want to do. And I'm like, no, no. And then he just said something that triggered you. Yeah. And you were just like, fuck it, let's play. Yeah, so he ended up telling me, and like, I understand the gravity of the spot, especially for for him and for myself included. And I just, I sort of knew how much of an edge I had. And I kind of felt bad in some way of like knowing that this was going to be- Well, I think the other aspect of it is, no matter what your edge is, you get to play the spot once. Yeah. So it's like, if you are a 70-30 favorite, which you're probably not, heads up to be that big of a favorite is pretty difficult. He would literally have to be like, just willfully shoveling money in and then folding. Yeah. Which to some degree he is, but like not that egregiously. Sure. Um, But even if you're a 70-30 favorite, 30% is a still big number in a one-off event, in a yeah. one-time isolated vacuum yeah, incident. Yeah, I, you know? I, I definitely got nervous at, before break. And I was sort of understanding that this is the biggest score I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And the it kind of got bigger than me for a small second because I always I had the confidence of knowing that I think I was going to win the event. But as soon as like one small little obstacle happened of doubling this guy up, I sort of instantly revert, reverted to like a like a flea mentality of like, okay, like let's lock this up and then like, let's just free roll the rest. So I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Jim, but I think you can kind of talk to this a little bit too. Uh, and the reason why I'm pointing to you for this is just because you're the king of like having no failures on your fucking resume. Like you just have this straight up graph. And I almost think that like, it's a protected mentality where when you find yourself in spots where risk is evident and uh, you validate yourself 
through the, the actual win itself. Now, all of a sudden, the emotional risk that you're at play here of finishing second feels bad. And like the way to avoid that is to just eliminate the risk, right? So it's like, if it would feel bad to get second place, money aside, then let's make it so that we have this like almost built-in excuse where it's like, but it didn't really matter because I chopped for a large sum and right. the money difference was almost negligible. Right, so then he said to me, you only have four big blinds and I feel pretty good about this. And as soon as I heard, I feel pretty good about this, I was like, all right, we're gonna fucking play and then we're gonna see what happens. So as soon as that happened, uh, we kind of went on break and I kind of switched up the music in my headphones. I was listening to like some pretty like aggressive like gangster rap the entire time for like two straight days. And then I switched it and I listened to classical music a lot. So I put on some classical music and I came in with the game plan of sort of grinding him down and forcing him to make folds because of his naturally passive nature. And I ended up winning it in five minutes where he opens the button. I defend big blind with seven, four of diamonds. Flop comes jack seven, deuce rainbow. I check, he checks. Turns a king. I check, it's a really good card for him. He bets about half pot and I call. River is an offsuit four, and the king brought in a spade draw that bricked. I check, and he bets 1.1 million into about four. So at this point, I've done way too much theory work. Well, <laughs> and I know that on river, you don't bet less than half in position because you're allowing out of position to reopen the action. So in this spot, I pretty much targeted his hand at specifically a king. Or if he ever had a hand like jacks for a set that he slow played, he could have that. And he never has a hand like a jack x2 pair because those would be c betting flop for him. So I ended up jamming for about 11 million over his 1.1. He goes into the tank for about two and a half to three minutes, finds a call. I flip over 7-4. He looks at his hand and kind of stands up for a second thinking that he, I guess, won the tournament. And then flips over his hand as easy as king eight for top pair with a king. And I end up leaving him crippled with like five big blinds. And two hands later, uh, he jams on the button. I, def I snap call with queen nine off. He has 10 nine off. And the flop comes queen high. And it's over. It's all over, babies. It's all over. Ship us the money. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the meantime, in the meantime, Conrad got kicked out for screaming, put him in a body bag. <laughs> Just running around the Venetian yelling, put him in a body bag. It's over. Did Conrad have a piece? <laughs> no. Conrad had that hype equity. Yeah, he's he's uh he's our flavor flave, I guess. <laughs> the floor guy's talking to Conrad and he's like, I don't understand why I can't be happy for my friend. And he's like, You could be happy, just stop telling, stop making threats to the other person. And I go, Yeah, stop embarrassing me. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of I kind of got a little uh got a little red face sitting there listening to him. Yeah, the poor guy just lost seventy thousand dollars in a spot where he was drawing pretty thin. And it's just like he has this rando on the rail fucking. It's kind of unlucky for him, honestly. Like the MSPT kind of screwed him over in a way. And for sure. Like, for sure. If they get the chop numbers right, uh, I don't know that I would have been able to like interfere enough in like uh, an ethical way for for Landon to like say no. Right. So, you would have had to like go to Landon like right in front of him and like pull him out and then come back and tell the guy like no. Honestly, though, I think I would have. So I kind of I, I kind of let off the reins a little bit whenever they said they had to play for 35K. Because, well, yeah, because at like, that point, at that point, where even even if they chop, like it's not that much equity given. Right, up. but if they'd come back and said, "Okay, you have to leave seven k to play for," 
and you're each going to get like, like Landon, you're going to get 30,000 and this guy's going to get like, you know, 26,000 or something like that. I would have just been like, we're giving way too much away here. Yeah, I remember, I remember texting you when they when you told me that they were playing for like thirty something, and I was like, oh okay, like we're probably only giving away like four k in equity, like something, like it's not like crazy amount. Yeah, it would have been small. Yeah, so I was like, okay, whatever, like let the kid, you know, breathe a little bit, you know. Yeah, if they get the chop numbers right, that guy would have said yes way before I would even been able to like say anything to land it. Yeah, because the actual chop would have probably been leave seven k to play for, which would have left uh like twenty eight thousand then to chop. And Landon probably would have gotten like 16 to this guy's 12. Yeah. Or like 13 or 15, five to this guy's like 12, five, something along those lines. And like he, he would have gobbled that up. Rightfully so. That would have been a great deal for him. Yeah. I think um, I, the universe kind of was at play here and was in my favor for a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh no, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm doing that wrong. It's way more than that. It would have been, uh, there would have been 63 left. So yeah, Landon would have probably gotten like twenty six. Landon would have got like thirty three, and this kid yeah. would have got thirty. Yeah, like thirty three to thirty, thirty four to twenty nine, something like that. Yeah. Like what a major difference for that other guy, and like what a big punt for us. Right, right, for sure. That's I mean, it would have been a really terrible situation. So I mean, shout out to MSPT, uh, you know, making the soft Rye House a little bit richer. You know, getting that one. Honestly, in in some indirect way, uh, we have you to thank for this, Chin. Nah, too long of a story. We only have a couple minutes. No, 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 no. It needs to be told. This story is too good. Everybody's young once. Everybody's young once. I didn't have this guidance when I was a ch- when I was a young child of the sim mm. of of, of the sim of the live sim. of the live sim that we're living in. You know, I made I'm I definitely made some bad deals. I chopped six way once even uh, at Turning Stone. Actually, I might have made a good deal. I was probably fucking last in chips. Who knows? Uh, but. Um, you know, chopping was just like, it was, it was like a cordial thing. You know, just you got down there with a bunch of dealing. Yeah. You got, I, I did chop for first place money three handed in my very first ever, uh, final table at Niagara Falls. You just said, I don't want to, I had half the chips in play. They split the other half and I go, I'll take first place and you guys can, can, uh, battle it out for the rest. And they're like, okay. Why? Don't know. Cause it was 2004. You're rich. It was too, no, it was like for $4,000. Uh, I did feel rich at the time, but chin very first was it your first vegas event my first vegas event ever yeah yeah i had just i i final tabled parks right after yeah. that i went to like immediately went to vegas and my first tournament in vegas it was, yeah so this is when he used to be a trend here uh, yeah it's true the you, you young up and comers man I, I pick them good uh so like chin and i had just we had been working together probably for about a year year and a half prior and then at this point we like we were friends he came out stayed at the place plays this venetian event sells me like 30 percent and goes down and just like rips it off. So he makes the final table. He's like nine of nine. Somehow short stack ninjas his way into three of three. And he's on break and he calls me. He goes, yo, they want to talk ICM chop. And I'm like, okay, uh, you're in last place. Sounds very favorable for us. What are they thinking? And it came back. I don't know if these were the actual numbers or if they like uh, were negotiating you down. But it was him, Nipun, and a VIP and Chin had 25 blinds. Nipun had like maybe 2x that, maybe 60-ish, something like that. And the VIP had like 75 or 80. And sixth place was like 62K. S- second place was like, I don't know, 75. And first was like 125. So literally double third. No, no, it was like 63, almost 90, and then 125. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, big jumps. So third place is dust in this fucking thing. Right. 
And they come back with the numbers and they're like, uh, we'll give you 70,000. So they're offering him like 7K. And he's like, yo, I'm going to take it. 70,000 is a lot of money. And I'm just like, no, no, no. You, you're guaranteed 63, man. We're talking about $7,000 here. Okay, it was like 72, but yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. So so they offer like 9K or 10K, something like that. I'm like, yo, you're not getting that much. Like your stack is worth a lot. So I'm like literally trying to talk about the fence and he just hangs up with like, I'm taking it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh God, no. Deal. And I've never done this before. I don't know why it dawned on me, but in the moment I was just like, I could just buy his equity. I'm just gonna buy his equity. So I like hurry up and hit him up. And I was like, look, I'll buy out your chop. Yeah. So he had like, I think half of himself at the time. I was like, so yeah, they must have been offering you 12K because I remember I paid you 6K. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's fine. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'll pay you $6,000 for your 50% and I'll give you a 10% free roll on anything you make second place or higher. So like, you know, he's still incentivized to go out there and win the fucking tournament. Yeah. He's like, all right, done. And I was like, cool, I'm coming down. So I get in the car before I even, before I even started, he's like doubled. <laughs> I'm like- Yes. We're rich. I'm the best fucking investor ever. No one's smarter Absolute than me. I'm, 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 he's just going to mash this tournament. He's going to win the whole thing. He's going to get the trophy. I'm going to get the money. And we're all going to be fucking this is happy. Galaxy brain. This is galaxy brain activity. Yeah. So I finally get down to Venetian. I park the car. I sprint to the table. And as I get their chin standing up, because he's all in, I'm just like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So I look and he had limp shoved for 40 with uh, King Queen suited from the button. And Nipun had like raised called off. And he, he was in the deep tank when I get there. He finally calls off, tables the ace-10 offsuit. And I just looked at it so disgusted. Yeah. I knew he wasn't going to win the fucking pot. And I'm so annoyed that this hand found a raise call off in a situation where there's a VIP at the table. Right. And this hand is fucking dust. Right. And it's just... It was like limp. I limped. Because Nipun had been like opening way too much. And it was like limp. VIP completes Nipun 5.5 X's and I'm like, I'm all in. And then he just like tanked. He strung the trap and he he got away with unscathed. Yeah. Jack just nine Jack three. Nine high. Yeah. One heart and then just five five. Yep. Everybody goes unimproved. Ace ten high wins. I ship Chin six thousand dollars. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it all do. comes crashing down. It did, but it was a great the investment was there. Uh, it was it was a good investment for me, and it was also like a good experience, I think, for both of us. It was a good learning of, experience for me too, honestly. Yeah. Because I was like, okay, like if Berkey's making this deal, like, is because I'm in a really good spot, like, for me to like go for it, you know? So like knowing like in the future, I'm like, oh, okay, like it's probably just beneficial for me to just like play, you know? And, yeah. Like, well, so, that kind of helped like moving forward. Yeah, getting the heads up and talking chop there is worth so much. Well, like, it, it, there are situations where it's like, I don't even chop, right? Like if it's me and right. Nipun, we chop, but if it's me and the other guy, we just play. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. You're gonna play a 35K heads up match versus- uh, a Right, guy. for sure, I'm just gonna play. Like even if he has the lead, like I'm just gonna play, you know? Right. So it, it was one of those things too. It also helped me understand that like Nipun was kind of dust and like, no, no offense. Like he's, I thought that was, I thought that, I mean, look, I love Nipun, but that call was really bad. Like, <laughs> like for the next year and a half, like every time I saw him, I'm like, yo, you, that was a terrible call. Like, <laughs> like, like, and then we became friends after that. Like we became friendly after that. And then he won like two bracelets in a summer. So then like, you know, he, he was like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. That's what happens. He robbed you and then went out and got successful. But it's honestly like, you know, part of it too is like, you know, Landon, like, it, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know. At the time, like, 
I didn't, I was just like, fuck it. Like, there's a lot of money. Like, I'm, I didn't have like 100K bankroll. Like, I think I had like maybe 35. I was like, I'm doubling my bankroll, like snap taking the chop, you know? For me, the way I saw it was I kept putting a lot of pressure on him by jamming a bunch post-flop to where I sort of saw the match as a, like a, a long ball approach of trying to get all the like mm, winning as fast as that. yeah like yeah. trying to get it as fast as possible and then i sort of just every time forgot. i tried that i got in as a flip and lost <laughs> so i sort of forgot how many blinds we were playing and we were about 40 to 50 big blinds deep yeah even this late in the tournament and i was just sort of thinking to myself oh like it could be over in one hand because i just sort of over aggress or i try to or i get cooler here yeah yeah of and course. I just, as soon as we had the conversation about trying to grind him down, I was like, okay, like just because he keeps winning small pots, I still have big blinds to play. And I'm, he's not really winning that much because after blinds and antes, if I just keep winning on my buttons, which I was doing a vast percentage of the time, everything's going to work out. And then as soon as I switched like the flow up in that spot and was going to just grind him down, I river gin and have a perfect spot to go for the exploit long ball. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's the way it should be. Yeah, right? you shouldn't be forcing that sort of like long ball strategy because that actually really comes back to bite you against uh, people who are less seasoned. Right. You know, because they're you're playing into their hands. They're in trying some ways because they're gonna have folds too. Yeah, they're gonna overfold for sure. But like when they finally do look you up, if they got it, they got it. Yeah, exactly. They they've been waiting for that moment to finally have a hand. You know, and they're trying to catch the young man speeding. Right, and it's easier for you to be over bluffing all spots than it is for them to uh, lack calls in all spots. Eventually, right. they'll have calls. Right. You know, and you'll always have the bluff. Yeah. So it's like, just just think of it in that regards, where it's like every single spot, you'll have the bluff. And one of those spots, they'll finally have a call. It's just a matter of when. Right. And I ended up finding the perfect spot to go for it. I kind of felt a river four before it kind of appeared. I was like, oh, like four. This is what I'll tell you, Landon. After you do the, after Berkey does the deal with you at Venetian, as with me, as is with you, your career will now only go up. Right. Eternally. You'll never downswing again. You yeah. go to Venetian, Berkey saves you from a bad deal, and then you never look back. That's just how it is. This is a software Y way. <laughs> it, like is, it is and how it will always be. Exactly. Like that. Next person that makes the final table of a nation will go save them from a bad deal and they will forever just have a strong trajectory to the top. It's going to be Corey next. I'm yeah, feeling it from the team. He's been okay, playing really so, well. All right, so what's left? We're about to hit up Texas uh, and that's going to be for December 2nd to December 6th. 2nd to the 6th. We got to go the 1st so that we're ready. I may stay a little bit longer. Depends what we're feeling. I know you got some... I know you got some dinner dates lined up while you're down there. So, you know, we might make a week of it. That is true. There is a very nice young lady that uh, that is waiting for me to arrive. Waiting in the weeds. Waiting for waiting, me to waiting arrive. Waiting in the weeds. Oh, man. That's a nice 10-25 game waiting for me to arrive. That's all I'm saying. I will play that as well. I mean, dinner doesn't last forever. Yeah, I guess I I got the 306 max. Yep, yep, that's right. That's a 506 max. 506 max. Uh, Yeah, so we are going to be playing 510 the first day, 5-5, I believe, the next two days. There may be a day of like 1-2-3. Saturday, we're doing a live vlogcast from there as well as playing 1025. And then Sunday is a $500 six max. Uh, I believe it's a 10K guaranteed. Um, but 
pretty confident that that will get smashed. And uh, Sam assured us that they uh, they have plenty of room for alternates. I think we're also doing 1K sit and goes a couple times throughout the week. Um, give everybody a chance to play with us and try to satellite into like the 1025 game if they so choose. Satellite into the 1025 game. Yeah, that's a, that's it. Yeah, man, just rip off a sit and go for 10K and then just go sit. It should be like must play. Where it's like, if you win this right. single, you must play the 1025. Yeah, yeah. Even it, like, yeah, like they're the loose cannon. You know, yeah, they, like they're there with their in. stake. Yeah, you're in. And you ha- you're, yeah, you're locked in four hour, four hour min. It's like, you have to play four hour min. That'd be, that would actually be kind of interesting. I mean, it's interesting because obviously there's some people that wouldn't want to play and just would want to take the prize because they might just like fold the entire time. Yeah. Well, they then just fold. Well, that's, the that's what the loose cannon did on, on, uh, the big game or whatever Holy for stars. Yeah. 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 Well, um, the loose cannon, that was a weird thing because it's like they could only keep what they profit. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, like added ICM in some regards to, uh, it was pretty uh, sick, to, to it was cash a great idea. It should come back. It's but yeah, uh, Travis from Pigtails is going to be joining us. He's going to be doing all the vlog footage and running the, the switcher for the vlogcast. Um, shout out to my boy, uh, Justin Chalk, Malikaboo. Uh, he is probably going to come with our pickleball friends tammy and leon so we're going to have pickleball pickleball matches yeah uh in the morning what's up who's tammy tammy and leon uh i think you met them it's the couple that we met that uh are better than us at pickleball that's kind of like been showing us the ropes uh a lot along the way um she works out with jen uh joanne um okay i understand yeah yeah, okay so yeah we're gonna make a week of it we're gonna be doing some things down there um Prior to that, I'm going to be hopping back on stream. So you and I are going to do the D-Megs Polk match tomorrow to warm up. Uh, I'll probably, or not tomorrow, not tomorrow, sorry, Friday. Tomorrow I'm streaming, yeah, tomorrow I'm streaming a World Series slate. None of this makes any sense because this is coming out Friday. So by the time you guys see this, uh, I will have streamed on Thursday the World Series slate. Christian and I will have done D-Negs and Polk uh, session eight, I believe. Next week, we're going to do a lot of D-Negs and Polk prior to Thanksgiving. Not sure what the schedule is going to be just yet, but probably Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and then next Sunday, we have the uh, the 10K WSOP Main Event Championship. Oh, these fucking they love raking the shit out of us. But that's a topic for next week. The, the rake's actually not that bad. But yeah, we can talk about this next week um, since we'll be recording before Thanksgiving for sure. Um Last but not least, we're going to be running a Black Friday sale. So 25% off all the merch in our shop. Uh, I think that's going to begin next Wednesday or Thursday. I can't recall off the top of my head, but it will run through the weekend. So if you've been waiting to get some merch at a discount, now's the time. Uh, also tune into my streams. I have an early bird code there that you guys can all get. He also just gives away action all the time. So. I do give away action. Come and get some. We gotta, we gotta do whatever he did to you at the final table. We gotta do to him in the streams. <laughs> it's good for the fans. Just talk me out of these, uh, these. All right, we gotta let Landon go. He's about to jump on the ones and twos with Ingram for the Polk match, and uh, I have a charity stream tonight to do. So that's gonna be a wrap for episode number twenty-three. Chin, it was nice having you back. Looking forward to doing this again, Landon. As always. The legend of Landon Tice. Uh, it's much appreciated. Um, thank you for the piece of your action and for picking up the big score. Sure. Until next time, everybody. We'll see you later.
you are not above me. I bet you wish you was me. I know that I know. 